so it's uh, January 18th. It's Martin Luther King weekend. And uh, that usually means that they're going to play day games in basketball on Monday. That's about what it means to me. And start drinking early. Start drinking early, yeah. You know, gather around the Martin Luther King tree and exchange gifts. That's a different holiday. (laughs) Yeah, man. So good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, yeah, uh, it's good to have you here, man. Thank you. It's really nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. So we're going to we're going to get into and you know I, I think today what we're going to look at you wanted to, to talk about the Me Too movement. Yeah. And kind of you know where it started and where it's gone and where it may be going because I think next week the Harvey Weinstein trial begins. Yes. You know. And then I think some of the other things we want to just look kind of like what's going on in the world today we got the whole impeachment I don't know trial/carnival/circus/freak slash slash show. Right. Uh you know and just, yeah, just talk about that. So you wanted to talk about the Me Too movement. What's... Well, yeah, I mean, uh, the thing about these movements is that they spring up um, with good intentions. Yeah. And um, I don't think, do you know anybody who's like pro-rapey? No. No, I, I don't, I don't no. think there's so, anyone that's. Um, you know, I write this, this column and um, mm-hmm. a lot of people write to me and ask me, you know, about the Me Too movement and. Like, they suggest things I should write about. And I've been thinking about this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that one of the questions that has arisen, that have arisen is, should the Me Too movement go into retirement? Like, has it served its purpose? Mm -hmm. And it started in 2006 by someone I think called uh, Tamara Burke. Mm -hmm. And it started out as a legitimate movement to bring consciousness and awareness to women who had been raped or sexually assaulted. Yeah. Whose, whose cases were not being treated fairly mm-hmm. in the legal system, in, in the judicial system. So it was to bring awareness and consciousness to a form of injustice that mm-hmm. was being visited upon women. And it was all about solidarity, public awareness, mm-hmm. community building. No, that seemed perfectly legitimate to me. But, um, you know, like all of these social movements, it's straight from its lane. Yeah. And now it's, it's, it's become something that's almost undefinable where it's it has everything to do from it's part of it's part of what i call the woke consciousness movement yeah right so it's done everything from interfered into the branding of the james bond movie Mm -hmm. right it's done everything from like cancel the swimsuit edition or contributed heavily to the cancellation of the swimsuit edition of the miss america pageant yeah um it's sort of in some sense um placed a hundred percent universal, unilateral, final um, blame for all of women's socioeconomic problems on the shoulders of men. Yeah. So I want. I, I think we should probably talk about that because I think what the what the Me Too movement has done is a couple of things. One, aside from contributing to the nefarious aspect of this woke fascist woke culture that mm-hmm. I call it, which is a part of also erasure and cancel culture. It's also led to a sex war yep. uh, between, uh, the sen- the, between the sexes, yep. in which case I think, and we can talk about this, any, in any war between the sexes, I think women, for various reasons we can talk about, are always going to lose that war. Right. And it's brought about um, a, 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 a form of cancellation culture. Yeah. Where we want to cancel out, no, the cultural contributions that men have made to civilization, again, because they have exhibited bad behavior. Mm-hmm. And I think if men are punished, if they're punished financially, if they're punished in jail, 
that is the punishment that has ex- been exacted by society. There's no reason to cancel their artwork, their music, yeah. their contributions. Yeah, no, I, you know, I've, I've seen this happen. That's, God, it's been it's been a year now yeah. since I did this. Uh, it was called uh, Speakers Dare Talk, right? And it was in New York City, and um, my my the title of my talk was Man Up, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was 200 people mm-hmm. in this in the in the theater. Um, probably 180 of them were women. They were New York City women. So it was, you know, really liberal-leaning, progressive, um, you know, Upper West Side women. Yes. You know? And and the primary premise of the of the talk, because it was in response to me, too, and in response to the whole uh, the mansplaining or toxic masculinity or the white privilege or the white fragility, whatever it is. I, I find it funny that we, you know, that I exhibit both white privilege and white fragility. I'm mm-hmm. trying to work that one out. But pretty much I reject all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I could sit here and, and reject it and be angry about it or I could actually address it. And that's what this was about. And, and what I did is I did a really deep dive and looking at how, like, how guys respond. And I think a lot of this took guys by surprise. They're like, mm-hmm. what? This isn't me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so sometimes when guys get surprised, the thing they do is they kind of abdicate and drop back and try to figure it out. And I think that's what's happened a lot, you know? Um, there's also been uh, guys have seen other guys act abhorrently. Mm-hmm. And instead of being responsible and interfering with it, they've kind of just let it go and walk, you know, mm-hmm. like this isn't bothering me, so you can go do that and, you know, it'll work out for you eventually. You right. Know? And so, so the thing that I started seeing was this, but this kept getting momentum and momentum. And I got heckled. This was just a talk and I got heckled, yeah. you know, and it was, it was shocking to me. I was, a, I was nervous, number one, because it wasn't like, hey, this is great. This guy's here, you know, and I was nervous and I was also excited about it because it was a, it was really a positive message about in, let's work together is really ultimately what it was about. And, um, and it all worked out great. I'm, I'm so happy I did it, but. I got really clear that my perspective of the world shifted after I got off the stage versus before I got on the stage. I didn't realize how angry and how upset and how the absence of really inquiry, this mm-hmm. just this just men are bad mm-hmm. and they're evil and they're the source of all our problems. And if we got rid of them or got rid of their the toxic masculinity or the alpha male, it'll all work out. Mm-hmm. And that's just not true, you know? Well, it's not true, and this is this is another part of the the Me Too movement is that I think that they work with a kind of binary, simplistic view mm-hmm. of human sexuality. Yeah, that is just uh, false. I mean, the whole idea that there can be something like uninvited male attention—if you really think about that mm-hmm. literally—what mm-hmm. does uninvited male attention mean vis-a-vis? Let's keep it in the heterosexual sphere here. Yeah, between a man and a woman. I mean, no no woman invites male attention. It's something that is formed when two people are attracted or one person is mm-hmm. attracted to another person and you 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 exhibit that attraction in certain ways, either through the gaze mm-hmm. or or a remark. But I don't know of any culture in which a woman sort of sits there and says to a man, and now you can give me the look or now yeah. you can give me I, it's an, an, an attention. It's Well, you know what? It... It's like not even paying attention to our biology. Yes. You know? I mean, our biology occurs before our thought does. Exactly. You know? So it, it, there's no, like, real thinking or science in this. It's all, 
it's all just can't. I, I love the the cancel culture. It's all just canceling out all this stuff, and what ends up happening, and that's why I'm so against political correctness, right? Yeah. It it becomes this this uh, really rigid way of operating mm-hmm. with no opportunity for expression or inquiry, mm-hmm. you know. And it's all by the rules. It's it's, it's almost totalitarian, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you don't do it this way, you're bad. Mm-hmm. And what completely blows me away is the guys that sign up for that. Right. Like I don't get where those dudes come from. Well, I tell you what, they've they've bought into a mythology that every problem is solvable through language. Mm. Right? And it's so we're we're body centric creatures also. Yeah. Who are motivated by in some sense our instincts or impulses. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not to be crude or crass, but quite often in relationships, you'll hear relationship experts say to couples who are just talking and talking and talking endlessly about a problem. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've heard this, that you, you guys need to go and, and, and love it out, yeah. sex it out, yeah. right? And then maybe that will diffuse some of the tension yeah. and the rancor and the anger that heretofore existed might dissipate in some sense. I think a lot of men have bought into this 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 canard, this this the shibboleth that, you know, everything is solvable through discussion, through language, through the word, and many of our problems are solved um, on the physiological, biological level, mm-hmm. um, and 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 men especially are are who are not, you know, the greatest of communicators. Many men, right, um, are caught in a sort of. A quagmire here. Yeah. So I think there's oftentimes when in doubt, take action. Yes. You know, just to work it out, especially from a guy standpoint. Yeah. So, yeah, we were talking off camera about, you know, kind of one of the things that, that's leading to all this is just uh, uh, kind of a fear that's kind of running everybody. Yeah. You know, and what are we afraid of, man? I mean, none of us last forever. So being the fear of dying, I'm not buying off on. Right. Well, it's a fear, I think, of intimacy ultimately. Mm. Because I think when you're going to solve a problem with someone, you've got to do the hard work of sitting them down, yeah. looking them in the face, yeah. admitting admitting that you have the democratic right to fail also. Yeah. yeah. And um and and trusting that in that process of failure, your 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 honorable adversary, I'd like to call it, is also going to assist you in in your in your success, in your recovery. Yeah. But that's that that's intimacy. Look, if two people are, and I know this as a as a teacher in the class, as a professor mm-hmm. in the classroom for twenty four years, that when people have disagreements among themselves, mm-hmm. one of the ways that instead of coming with a prefab agenda or a single metric or a single rubric, one fits one size fits all solution to all problems, yeah. is that every single situation is unique, and you've got to sit down, you've got to pre-examine your own premises, your own hidden assumptions that are buried deep under your consciousness that you're not bringing to consciousness. So you have to bring to consciousness your own assumptions, your own fears. You have to invite the person to do the same thing. And then there's a kind of honesty that has to be brought to the conversation. And that brings us to the issue of vulnerability. Yeah. And most people are just not going to go there. You know, they, they put up the defensive wall. They put up all the sort of things. They already are existing in their own curated silos. Yeah. Um, so I think what we really fear is intimacy and this, this fear of intimacy, I think really comes from, in some sense, a breakdown in communities Mm -hmm. in which trust and, and friendships and, and I've got your back, you've got my back with, with, with communities being so obsolete today, 
and we don't have an environment or a milieu in which to develop and foster real relationships. Um, we're all just these sort of isolated individuals yeah. running out there, each one looking out for his own back with no sense that even if you're an honorable adversary, I know that you're not going to throttle me to death. Yeah. You know, one of the things, man, there's so much you said there that was so powerful. But the thing, when I first think of intimacy, I think what's absolutely incumbent upon having intimacy is for each person in that relationship to have a solid relationship and so- solid understanding of who they are. Absolutely. And self-acceptance. Like, you know what? I'm doing, there, there's, a, there's a thing about your, your book, right? Where you, where you were landing in Atlanta and you made a solemn oath that you were going to be your best when you got here. Right. Right? Right. Like, there's not a lot of people that, A, understand themselves enough to do that because it takes an, a self-understanding of that, right? But it's also the willingness to put your hiney on the line and say, listen, I'm going to go for it. And then when you do fail, not have that failure be the end of it all. That's right. You know, and I see, I think that's what happens nowadays is people don't have that solid understanding of themselves, that self-awareness, that self-acceptance, mm-hmm. so that when they fail, they don't own the failure. Because I'll tell you what, I've experienced some great successes in my life, and on the way to the great successes have been incredible failures. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking crash and burn, Dale Hearn, the corner, well, not quite Dale Hearn, right. but, you know, pretty, pretty horrific failures. And each and every one of those failures has been a gift. Right. You know, and I don't think we, and I think that's where this whole blaming thing is. I think if we could shift from being a victim to being a creator, we could look at the failure, the mm-hmm. breakdown, and what's the gift here and what's the lesson that can be learned. Right. You know, like what's the lesson that could be learned from the Me Too movement for men and women without creating toxic masculinity or toxic femininity or creating this gender war and creating I hate her, she's this and I'm that, you know. Like, what do you see as the lessons that can be learned? Well, I think there are lots of lessons. Absolutely. One of, one of them, I think, is that um, there is, there is a, with the rise of feminism and the mm-hmm. right of gender equality, which I'm a, a big supporter of, mm-hmm. of equity feminism or, mm-hmm. or, or gender equality between the sexes, um, people don't like to also admit that traditional male roles have, 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 have become obsolete. And so men have to have had to find new ways to define themselves. Mm-hmm. And so that the, the first thing to admit, instead of trying to make men into new types of women, actually, they're not yeah. even trying to make them into new types of men, right. into a particular type of, of a woman. A hairy man, a hairy woman. Yeah, yeah right. Woman. Is that there's been a real <laughs> loss to how men experience themselves as men. Yeah. And, and, and admit that this has come... Um, from a justifiable cause, the women's movement, the feminist movement, that the rise of women as men's socioeconomic equals, that that has cost men something. So that that first has to be admitted. And once that, I think, is admitted, then there's a chance for self-renewal on both parties. Well, I I think there's another cause for some of that, too. I mean, technological changes. Yes. When you you think, look at the auto industry, Right. right? I mean, you used to have guys that picked up wheels and put them on cars and bolted them down, right? That's a lot of that's done by robots now. And it's done for a lot of reasons. It's right. done for a safety reasons. It's mm-hmm. done for productivity reasons. It's mm-hmm. done for quality reasons. You know, it's a kind of a replicatable thing. It's like, yes. you know, back in the day, there were the jokes about check your mind at the door. Just, you know, be a set of hands, right? Yes. So manufacturing's changed that a lot, yes. you know? Um, 
there, there's all kinds of different industries where the traditional male work of just brute force has been reduced by machinery or technology. Right. You know, so along with the rise in feminism, there's also been these productivity increases, which are always going to occur. Always going to occur. It's the nature of this this country. Right. You know. But I think in terms of admitting that there's no such thing as masculinity or there's no such thing as manhood or that manhood oh. or masculinity are tropes or terms that are up for, you know, uh, redefinition, which is what we hear constantly yeah. that men are faced with, um, there has to be an admittance that there's a difference between men and women. Absolutely. Gay, whether you're gay or straight. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think gay men know this more than any other class of men, that there's a difference between men and women and that men have... It's not up to women to define masculinity or manhood for men. Men have to do oh that themselves. God. Exactly. That, that's one of, oh my God, you just pushed a button. <laughs> Trigger alert, right? Like nothing drives me nuts more than these women who go out there and are going to help men define their masculinity. That's bo- that's malar- that's a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, there's a lot of done. words we can't use right now because we're on the radio that describes it. <laughs> Because it, it's crazy, yes. you know, and because all it's going to do is redefine men in some kind of feminine form. Right. And, and I think that's happened a lot. I think that's one of the reasons we've got these very feminized men out there. Yeah. You know, and they, they, listen, I think they want to do the right thing. I think there's a, and the absence of fathers is another thing, right. you know, because you don't have a male role model. So there's a lot of confusion out there as far as guys go. Right. You know, and, and that's kind of one of the reasons we're existing here is to, I don't know if we can solve the problem, but we can start raising a question right. so that guys can start asking a question and have bigger a bigger conversation if they want to reach out to us. I mean, we're not that hard to find, right. you know? And um, and so, yeah, that, that's kind of the idea of what we're doing here. And and, and, I, and I'm so aligned with what you're saying, man, because it's, it's just nonsense. And, and this gets back to what I was talking about earlier with you. Like, there has to be a boundary to some of these things. Mm-hmm. We've got to start calling BS on BS, mm-hmm. you know? And that's not looked upon very favorably nowadays. Right. You know, you can't call BS on BS. Right. You know, like, when does it When is it time for the Me Too movement? When, it, when, it, when could we say mission accomplished and then put it away? Right. You know? Right. When, when could we say Black Lives Matter, mission accomplished, and put it away? I don't know what the answers are, but there has to be a, for any of these movements, there has to become a time. There has to, there has to come a time. And, there, and also what's more important is that the heads of these movements cannot expect their perceived adversaries to cede in any way, whether we're talking about white people, mm-hmm. whether we're talking about men, yeah. to cede their sovereignty and their autonomy to another person. And yeah. this is what you find happening, for example, in the Me Too movement, where uh, men are expected to cede uh, moral authority over their lives, mm-hmm. uh, sovereignty and autonomy over their lives mm-hmm. to those who know better which are enlightened <laughs> women who the have woke folk the woke folk who have a very very heightened yeah. and and almost infallible sense of what constitutes the perfect man see and i think what you're talking about there is that mentality that thought process right that that expectations of i'm going to turn everything over to you is actually at the source of the greater divide that's going on exactly you know and it actually forces people to start picking sides yes and as someone in that group the last thing you want to do with me is make me pick a side exactly because it's not going to go your way exactly you know just by a whole lot of reasons it brings up the defensiveness in you because you feel like you're being attacked or if in an alpha male what's the response of an alpha male when being attacked it's attack back ferociously 
yeah, going for the jugular. Yeah, like to kill. To kill. It's it's like an invitation to take the kill shot. Yeah. Right. And 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 I don't think people understand that. Mm-hmm. I don't. You know, everyone should read the Art of War. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Avoid war at all costs, and if you go, you go. To right? vanquish your enemy. Yeah. Yeah. And then you take the Colin Powell doctrine, which is even greater. Which, you know, when I heard this, I was like, holy cow, this guy truly is a warrior, which is inflict generational impact, mm-hmm. right? So, like, even your descendants won't even ask a question, mm-hmm. you know? That's what people don't get when they go to conflict, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's what people don't understand. Like, these people that go around and pick and fights all the time, you know, like on social media or something like that, or, or, or insulting people, they don't understand that there's always a bigger, badder dude out there, and you don't know what they look like. That's right. And they will kill you. Yeah. And destroy you, and actually annihilate you. Yeah. And that's the thing, man. I just wish people would pay attention and understand human nature, but because of their arrogance or because of their work wokeness, they just think they can go around pontificating. Right. It's crazy. So, I went on a little rant there. I, I did give a trigger warning though. So, <laughs> <laughs> I gave my trigger warning. So, yeah, man. Um, yeah, so this is uh, interesting. I'm sorry. I kind of lost my place, but yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have to take a break in about a minute. But in a minute? Okay. Is there anything you want to say before we take a, take a break? Yeah, I do want to say something. I want to say that um, th- I want to get back to this issue of, of, of eliciting the defensive streak in people, especially mm-hmm. in men, is that the one thing that you don't want to do in all of this is to use another word that is not politically correct. You don't want to emasculate right. in the process. Yep. Right? So even when you're calling, you don't to eviscerate and emasculate a man of his sense of his manhood or his masculinity. Right. And that goes for all, all, all men in all walks of life. Yeah. And you don't want to shame a person also. Shaming does no, shame is not, it's not an inducer of good behavior. Yeah. Well, it doesn't bring out the best in anyone. What it no. does, it brings out, you know, your worst your worst traits because your guards go up and um, and all and more importantly all the resources that you have for conflict resolution um, um, become repressed and dormant and it's just a kind of fight or flight response I think that's that's awoken and uh, the, the you know when you when you when when someone makes you feel ashamed your first uh, there are two responses. One is to completely shut down, mm-hmm. or the other, per- or the other response is completely annihilate and eviscerate the other person yeah. with, a, with a rejoinder, a counter, a counterattack. Well, it's it's interesting. You know, I, I, I've studied neuroscience quite a bit and have gone through this neuroscience training for coaches and got some certifications. And, and there was this this one book that I read. I can't remember the author now, but it, it talks about the three core core wounds that people deal with: right, mm-hmm. abandonment, uh, betrayal, and shame. Yes, and shame. Uh, what shame brings out is kind of a sense of hopelessness. Yes. Like there's no recovery from it. Right. You know? And so what you were pointing to is just kind of you curl up in the fetal position or because everything's hopeless, who cares? You become a suicide bomber. Yeah. You're, you're, you know? Yeah. It's almost nihilistic. Yeah. 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 And so you're just going to go and destroy and you don't care. You, you like ceased to care about anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the and, – and so people who, who kind of create that as a power move don't understand the ramifications of it. Right. You know, and so yeah, it's it's really it's fascinating when you said that. Um, you were talking earlier about the Me Too movement and the impact it has. I mean, it, we understand the the impact it has on women and men, but how about with men and men? That's right. I, yeah, during the break, we were sort of briefly talking about um, that the Me Too movement is not just about a movement meant to sort of uh, regulate the relationships between men and women, mm-hmm. 
But it it also is having what I think is a deleterious effect on the relationship that men have among themselves, mm-hmm. men between men. Yeah. Because part of how masculinity and manhood gets developed is how a male pits himself or compares himself or um, uh, conducts himself in conjunction with other men. That's why we've had rites of passage in various cultures, some of them quite cruel, some of them quite hard, where boys from the age of 12 in certain African cultures are are made to wrestle with with crocodiles, right, to show your manhood. But uh, what what the... So the Me Too movement is not just about... It's not just having an effect on the sexes and invoking a sex war, but it's also affecting how, how men f- relate to other men. And one of the things that I talked about earlier on when we were talking was about this erasure and cancel culture. And one of the things that it's seeking to cancel, I think, uh, is competitiveness, yeah. which, is, oh, yeah. which, is, which is crucial for how men develop their identities with other men. Oh, man. Right? It, so I was listening to MSNBC on the drive in here this morning. Yeah. They, they were talking about this Aaron Hernandez documentary. There's a bunch of them came out this week. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Aaron Hernandez? No. He was a, he was a player with the New England Patriots, and he was a stud. He was a good player. But he's also really uh, – he, he had a lot of things going on personally. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, he was also in a, a, a monogamous – not a monogamous relationship, but a heterosexual relationship with a girlfriend who's really a friend of his. Oh, that's right. I know this guy. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. Yes. And he was accused of killing a guy. Yes. And he, um, he was also accused of killing two more people. And he suffered from, at like age 26, he had like CTE of that of a 70-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, so from playing football and things like that. Anyway, this commentary comes on and she she didn't, I don't even think she watched this. The I tried watching it last night. I fell asleep before I got to watch it. But um, but she, she started talking about it and I've read a lot about Aaron Hernandez. And she said, well, what this is about is toxic masculinity and the problem with sports and the NFL. Right? Yeah. And I was like, and she didn't even watch the thing. She was just making, and I would ask her questions, and she didn't have any answers, and she didn't do anything. But she, she got on there with a soapbox of toxic masculinity and football are equivalent. Yeah. You know? And there's, you know, this, a relationship to, comp- to competition. I've been competing my whole life, mm-hmm. right? Um, and competition can both bring out the worst in someone, but it can also bring out the best in someone. Yes. You know, it can have you push beyond what you know you can do. And to eliminate competition, first of all, is going to turn us into a third world nation mm-hmm. because I think that's foundational to what America is about. Mm-hmm. I think that's what America, American exceptionalism is about. Mm-hmm. Always pushing, learning, developing, growing. Right? That's right. And yeah, so when you say that, it's just, it's just, it just is so... What's the upside of eliminating competition? I just don't understand. I don't see an upside. I think it's inherent in human nature that part of how we gauge our relationship to the world is by either through the physical world or with other people is Mm -hmm. by, in some sense, testing our strengths or weaknesses against a competitor. Whether that that competitor is nature itself, fighting, you know, fight. Tornado fighters going into the midst of a tornado and trying to defeat the, the whole thing. Well, yeah. <laughs> or, or chase storm chasers, or or eliminating polio from the fa- or smallpox from the face of the earth, or whatever it is. We 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 have a sense of our strengths mm-hmm. and our weaknesses by testing it against something that comes up against our identity. Something that threatens or well-being, and that takes a form of competitiveness. Yeah. Well, isn't that the basis of natural selection? Absolutely. You know, like the, the strongest survive? Yes. 
and the weakest among us. Yes. And, and it's for our own self-preservation and self-good. Yes. You know? Yes. So, yeah, I, I think this has gotten really, like many of these things, has gotten really perverted. And, and I, again, I, I, what I'm seeing is a theme of here's an idea, right? And so the, even you could look at competition. If we take competition, like winning at all costs can become toxic. Mm-hmm. Winning at all costs can, can go to cheating. It could go to uh, scandal. It could go to corruption. Right. right? But competition, you know, like becoming the best is a good thing. Is a good thing, right? It's a good thing. So I think I think what it is is we're losing sight of what the barriers are and what the limits are, and, and somewhere we've lost sight of boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I don't know when that happened. Mm. You know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I will cede to you, the philosopher, because <laughs> <laughs> I'm a guy who used to drive a bulldozer, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Well, we have we both have. It's a it's a paradox, like the yin yeah. yang. We both have an excess of boundaries with political correctness, yeah. and all these movements, and the woke consciousness, and the cancel culture, and the erasure culture, and the eliminationist culture, as some of yeah. them call themselves, where they're just way too many boundaries. Yeah, and I think then we have a sort of a reactionary movement uh, or reactionary response to that, which is. Um, almost annihilatory, you know, get yeah. out of my way. Yeah. No boundaries. Yeah. I think I think one of the reasons that the Me Too movement and its continuance in the vein or the register that it's continuing troubles me is because I think it'll bring out the, paradoxically, it'll bring out the worst in men. Yeah. Because when you try to tell a man how he should be a man mm-hmm. and regulate his conduct uh, in a way that is inimical to how he perceives himself to be a man rather than having an honest dialogue yeah. about what constitutes justice, what constitutes fairness, and so on and so forth, um, there's going to be a serious backlash. Yeah. Right? Because, um, you know, the w- whether we're talking about the beta male, the alpha male, uh, the, the gamma male, men are going to either shut down completely into emotional repression or they're going to go haywire and we're going to see a more rapacious... Um, nefarious form of masculinity expressing itself. You know, I think what you just summarized right there is actually kind of what's going on in the world today. Yeah. You know, because you've got, you know, you've got both of those things going on. You've got a lot of guys that have abdicated their responsibility and kind of taken their hands off the throttle, throwing their hands up. Yeah. You know, what can I do? You know, deferring to whoever else is around. Mm -hmm. Or you've got guys that are just, you know, um, you know, becoming, you know, all... Torpedoes. Yeah, and just animals. Animals, and, yeah. And, you know, I mean, a, a great example. It's a guy I actually like, but every time you see him, he's like going crazy. It's Jim Jordan, the congressman, right? Mm-hmm. The guy's a you know, classic alpha male. He's an animal, you know, but <laughs> everything, he's, he's like always going to war with everyone, you know? I think Jim dialed down just the best, because I think he's a smart guy. Yeah. But he doesn't always come off, he always comes off as an angry guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when the expression of anger can create fear in everyone around him, you know? Like there's very few people when you're dealing with an angry guy will yes. actually step up and try to like cool him down. Yes. Most people, when you know, the response to anger is either anger back right. or clear the way. Yes. You know? Yes. And um, nothing gets solved from there. Right. You know? Right. So. You know, one of the things I'd like to see happening more with the Me Too movement is for them to be creating actually, instead of these snowflakes that they're creating, <laughs> is to create more is to create more alpha females. Yeah. Strong men, strong women. Yeah. Who can not battle it out in the sort of nasty sense of being and you know, hateful towards each other. Mm-hmm. But a lot of sex is war. Mm-hmm. A lot of sex is about 
even intimate sex is a struggle for dominance. Yeah. Which is what a lot of people don't want to accept. Any kind of sex is a sex is often a sex for dominance, a sex for the establishment of hierarchy. Simultaneously, while it's an expression of love and intimacy, this is why a lot of people like a lot of rough sex and, mm -hmm. and harsh, you know, brutal, animalistic sex because, um, um, regardless of their orientation, because it is an expression of of, of dominance and power. And um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I want I want to 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 throw that out that the Me Too movement should be creating a sense of strength in women, yeah. and, and instead of instead of trying to sort of say this kind of behavior in men is going to trigger me. Well, what is it triggering? If it's triggering something in you, you must be a weak person. If mm -hmm. it's triggering, triggering too many things in you too many times throughout the day, then you must be really weak. Yeah. I would like to see more. I'd actually like, I'd actually like to see more alpha females in the world. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. thing to watch an alpha female. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a real, a, a man who has a strong sense of himself yes. is not afraid of that. Well, and I think that gets back to the self-awareness. You're actually going to invite that, you know. I know myself, I always perform better and provide far more value and create way more when I'm around a lot of um, very powerful humans Yes, that challenge me. Exactly. You know, that actually push up against me, male and female. Mm -hmm. I would much rather have that than people appease me or blow sunshine out my keister or go, oh, God, Mike, you're the... You're the best. Exactly. That's the worst thing I can run to. I love the challenge. It's that challenge mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I, I tell people that the only way change can occur and, and forward progress can occur is through that, that confrontation. Because with confrontation, that comes that spark, that ignition of ideas. Yes. You know, and that's, I think, what you're talking about, yes. even in a sexual standpoint. Yes. I don't think it's one trying to win over the other. It's both people operating at their highest level of expression. Right. And that's really powerful. That's vitality. That's absolutely. Whether it's feminine or masculine, yeah. it's, it's vigor, it's vitality. Yes, absolutely. It's expression of the life force. And it's super creative. Yeah. Super, super creative. Yeah. You know, the thing that's, you talked about vitality, it's really what's, for me, it's like the fullest expression of life, which for me is passion, right? That's, that's, that's right. why we're here. Yeah. Yes. Like, I think one of the really great gifts of living is when you can live full out. Exactly. When you wake up every morning and, even if you're not in the best of moods, there's still this urgency of getting into the world yeah. and doing your work and the world's work. Yeah. And that's part of, that's part of vitality. That's part of uh, being engaged and married to the world. And it's part of, it's part of life. It's like, you know, so those of you who have children, I'm sure many of you don't necessarily feel like getting up and um, <laughs> feeding your children every morning or sending them off to school, but you do it because it's, it's an ethical commitment that you have to your children and you do it and, 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 you find vitality and meaning and purpose in doing that. And I, I feel the same way about um, all forms of living. You know, what, what you just pointed to is doing something even when you don't feel like it, right? Yeah. And I think something's happened with us as a culture where our feelings have been senior to our commitments, mm -hmm. right? Where we, well, I don't feel like it, or that doesn't make me feel good, or this type of thing. And I think that it, it's led itself to a certain sense of narcissism. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things I want to talk to you about today is, is, is with that narcissism and this addiction to feelings, I think we've lost sight of certain elements of ethics and morality. Yeah. And I'm not a big one to lay my morality on someone else. I don't think that's my job. Right. You know? But there are ethical components. There was this big thing in baseball today where, and again, it's like, what's the limit? Right. Where uh, a couple of baseball teams have been 
pretty harshly impacted because they were found out to be cheating. Yes. You know? And it, it's an ethical violation. And, and people are talking about the, the tactics of it, but they're not looking at the mindset that creates an ethical violation. And mm-hmm. it's so great to, I mean, you teach ethics. Mm-hmm. You know? I do. So, yeah, I'd love to get your take on, on the whole realm of ethics in America today. Well, you know, ethics, of course, is the, is the branch of philosophy that deals with the rules um, that set about determining the proper conduct among human beings. And those mm-hmm. rules regulate the conduct between human beings, so whether we're talking about business ethics or engineering ethics or medical ethics or just the general sphere of ethics that mm-hmm. regulate human conducts, conduct. Uh, and there's always a goal that you have in mind, whether it's well-being mm-hmm. in life in general mm-hmm. that will regulate how we treat each other to get to that end being, that end goal, or if it's in the field of business, mm-hmm. you know, um, the, the, the rules that regulate human conduct are set in place so that we can get to or the end goal of what the business is. Mm -hmm. I think what's happened in America, I think in the world in general, is that the mm, feelings have superseded everything else. And for me, when that happens, it's a form of, um, I hate to use this word, but I think it's a form of regression. Because what when you look at a child, you look at a child, a two-year-old in a, in a, in a candy store who stamps his yeah. feet and says, I want it and I want it. No. Children are inundated with their feelings. Yeah. And then they, they don't yet have the cognitive apparatus to sort of appraise those feelings, regulate them, put them into a kind of perspective, know when to express those feelings. And they don't use those feelings as a justification for their actions. Yeah. Right? It's fine to have your feelings, but your feelings are not always the basis for how you should act. It's your thoughts and your ideas and your appraisal of the situation. What I'm seeing as you're speaking, which all of a sudden, like, like, you know, being an engineer, I put everything in equations, right? (laughs) So I have equality and fairness on this side Mm -hmm. versus ethics on this side. So we've taken ethics away mm-hmm. and, and the conversation and, and the teaching of ethics to our children mm-hmm. to f- put our attention on equality and fairness, which are more feeling kind of things, mm-hmm. you know, like in the area of justice, like what is justice? We've got all these social justice people out there, right. you know, what is just and what is unjust, you know, and it's no longer based on ethical conclusions. Mm-hmm. It's based on the feeling or expression or, or the result, mm-hmm. you know? And that's how we get into quotas and the, as, um, uh, oh, who wrote the 12 rules to life? I can't remember the guy. Uh, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Jordan yeah. Peterson, yes. Yeah, he talks about the equality of outcome versus the equality of opportunity. Right. Right? Right. And, you know, you want to have equality of opportunity like you were talking about, mm-hmm. you know? But you cannot guarantee equality of outcome. Right. Because then, then that's like tanting the, you know, slanting the board. It's, right. it's actually not fair. It's not fair. And I mean, look, the other thing about feelings too is that it's a shortcut. It's a lazy way of gauging what's what's in one's best self-interest. There are lots of things that feel good to me or that could feel good to me. You know, like if, or a lot of things feel good to people, like shooting themselves up with heroin yeah. or, or drinking a, a, a pint of, 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 of vodka every, every three hours. I mean, yeah. that could make you feel good. It's, but well, we, ju- we just had the legalization of cannabis in this state. Right. You know, so. uh, well, the verdict is still out. You know? So not everything that's, that makes you feel good, which is what this attachment or addiction to feelings is all about, yeah. is, is necessarily in your self-interest. And you need to have a system of a system that appraises those feelings, that put those, examine those feelings and say, well, you know, taking 
habitual drug usage is not mm-hmm. good for my kidney or my liver. Yeah. Um, but that's why I say it's a form of regression. Yeah. Right? We've, yeah. we've gone back to an infant, infantile state of just being inundated with our feelings and using those feelings as opposed to reason, the faculty of reason, and all the things that spread from, from reason like ethics mm-hmm. and morality uh, as a way of appraising and regulating our human conduct, yeah. which is very, very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the idea that it, I don't love the idea, but I like that you're pointing to the regression of it. Yeah. And how, because um, that's kind of my experience. You know, when, when people start talking about yeah. one of the concerns is that, that kids today don't have the opportunity that their parents had. Yes. That would be regression. So we would want to look at what's the root cause of it. And I think what you're pointing to is that, you know. And, you know, like my generation, I think it was pretty easy to succeed. You know, all you had to do was show up, work hard. Yes. You know, get some on you. And um, you could succeed. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the world's gotten a little more complicated than that. Yes. You know, uh, the the formula isn't as straightforward right. as it was. Right. You know. Um, so yeah, we've infantilized our, 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 our young people way too long. I mean, you see the you see that adolescence now extends almost to the age of twenty five. Oh, at least at least twenty five. Yeah, right? I, so, I would say almost thirty. Almost thirty. Yeah, and of course, so what happens when you infantilize an entire generation? Of course, is that you never give them the tools to emancipate themselves from this inundation of what I call their feelings. Their feelings. They remain. They remain ensconced in that sphere of of feelings, and it's pure chaos. This is what Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. was writing about, The Antidote to Chaos, The mm-hmm. Twelve Rules. Uh, it's pure chaos because you have no perspective outside of your feelings to regulate them. A little bit of stoicism. Yeah. I think I think less feelings in our culture and more reason, yeah. more, more, more rationality, more stoicism, a more hardened approach to our feelings is actually necessary. I'm sick and tired of all this. this I don't think this. the empaths would align with you on that. <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, we, we only got two minutes, but the, the one thing you said in this is all of a sudden something's making sense to me. Um, if you think about an organization, right, and you're bringing this, the millennials in, right? Yeah. And they've been um, really their adolescents until they're 30. So there's like certain life lessons and certain ways of operating that need to be trained into them because they don't come to the workplace with that. That's right. You know? So there's an element of training that has to be put into these people before they're brought into the organization that is there's a cost associated to that. So that by definition, that's lowering productivity. And then if those people go on, what will happen typically is they'll just stop doing it. And then you start getting these dysfunctional organizations. Mm-hmm. And, and the, you know, that's kind of the work I do is I kind of go in after the fact and try to clean up bad behavior. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, hey, guys, listen, you're acting like children. Yes. And you're 40. Yes. You know, so it, you know, it's good for me from the standpoint, like I have a job. It's not so great because it doesn't really forward the agenda and it is a regression. No. So, yeah, man. So we got about a minute. Thanks. Thank you. How'd you like being here? Not a guest. Oh, I love it. I mean, it just feels like not, this is not a teaching forum, but I love to talk. Yeah, no, it's great. So it just feels natural to me. And I have lots of, I have lots of ideas and I've been working on ideas all my life. Yeah. So it's great to have you here, man. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. We'll be back next week. This is Mike and Jason. It's Into the Gap. See you next week. Have a great week. Bye-bye. Have a great week.